Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Monday, November the 14th, 2022. I marched with the only veterans of the Cenotaph who have nuked blood. They began to gather on Horse Guards Parade at 8am as the autumn fog began to lift. Veterans of the Falklands, the raid on San Nazaire, Afghanistan, Iraq and the Korean Wars met with friends and comrades, berries crisply placed, blazers brushed, medals clanking. There were thousands of people here, with their hair smartly cut, their shoes polished, and all faces thoroughly scrubbed. There was just one group of men I could see who had no crosses, clasps, or campaign medals for the unique service they alone gave. The 12 nuclear veterans who formed up at the head of Column D. They wore instead the missing medal, a black and yellow pin badge the size and shape of an empty medal ribbon. They'd been refused this simple honour four times so far, on the grounds they had not proven there was enough risk and rigour to the nuclear test to justify giving them a piece of tin. They gathered just 48 hours after the Mirror published the results of a six-month investigation which established that veterans' medical records showed they had been irradiated during the tests and the evidence withheld from them. Parliament was told blood and urine samples were never taken, when in fact there was a Whitehall order to do so, and an archive within the Atomic Weapons Establishment held the details of the nuked blood. All veterans in our investigation who sought their records were denied access. If I had just found out a newspaper I worked for 30 years ago had poisoned me, known about it and not told me while I and my family suffered decades of illness and worry, I'd find it very difficult to turn up to the next staff party. And if I did, there's a strong chance I'd be spraying venom. These men were good-humoured, dignified and deeply moved to have the chance to honour the 20,000 of their number who never made it as far as the head of Column D. The other thing which made this group stand out was that 66% were not veterans at all, but wives, daughters, sons, grandsons. In a few other columns, female veterans marched or a wife stood in for a husband. Here, the men were outnumbered by the 21 who had never served at all. But that's because in this group, the wives and children have experienced the effects of nuclear weapons testing for decades. They've had the miscarriages, comforted each other through loss, worried about every pregnancy scan and childhood illness. Sons have found themselves unable to father children, while daughters have decided not to risk it. Of all the thousands of veterans who gathered yesterday, who could give you a litany of illness linked to their service, I doubt there'd be one who'd tell you he had 87 different skin cancers removed, like Brian Unthank has. Many might share Terry Quinlan's memories of night terrors brought on by the pressures they faced, but none would have been asked to donate urine samples, as he was, to diagnose it. All the veterans who marched yesterday will have a greater risk of homelessness, broken marriages and PTSD. They will all have had issues with Veterans UK accessing war pensions and have reason to despise officers who are neither use nor ornament. 
But as I walked beside these men and their families, I could not see another group of veterans who'd have any reason to think their medical records would be kept at the atomic weapons establishment. Nor withheld there, consistently, for decades, as politician after politician stood at the cenotaph, year after year, to lay a poppy wreath and issue some words in a press release about the gratitude of a nation. I'm so proud to be here, but I'm so angry as well, said Laura Morris, who marched behind her granddad John. She and those with her were not marching for the politicians, or the cameras, or even for the public who lined Whitehall to watch. They marched for those who were not there, and to demand that they be remembered. As they laid their wreath at the cenotaph, protected by serving troops and police snipers on the roofs of Whitehall, I remembered that just last week, armed police had removed their flowers of remembrance from the steps of the MOD. In return for their dignity yesterday, they got a brief mention by David Dimbleby on the TV commentary, but no interviews from the dozens of journalists covering the event. The Daily Telegraph carried a photo, but a few words of explanation about why they wore a missing medal. In return for their blood, they got a higher death rate from cancer and denials from the Ministry of Defence that had even held the blood samples until after the mirror started showing people our evidence. In return for their service, we got a nuclear deterrent, and these men got nothing but grief. Their blood was nuked, the evidence was gathered, and their medical records are still being withheld. While yesterday they remembered their mates, their husbands and fathers, the British establishment would prefer it if it could all be quietly forgotten. If the veterans gave up, if the mirror stopped investigating, if the scientists turned round and said, hey, seems to us the MOD's probably right, the radiation just bounces off British skin with no ill effects at all, it would help nobody. It wouldn't protect national security, support the case for mutually assured destruction, or resolve the mental and physical scars of those involved. The only thing that will fix that is an act of true remembrance. A Prime Minister who looks these men in the eye, apologises for what was done, and orders the archives opened to the men who were treated as guinea pigs. The fog must lift, eventually. This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Friday, November the 18th, 2022. I warn you not to be poor, or old, or young. Best to be a millionaire like me. I warn you not to be poor. I warn you not to strive. I warn you not to be doing okay considering. I warn you not to be homeless. I warn you not to have a mortgage. I warn you not to have fewer than, oh, about three houses would do it. I warn you not to get cold. I warn you not to drive. I warn you not to own a diesel car, a petrol car or an electric car. I warn you not to work, not to stop work, not to retire, not to go part time. I warn you not to say the word Brexit. I warn you not to protest. I warn you not to strike. I warn you not to journalise. I warn you not to seek refuge or cross the sea or save up stamps or have children who grow or parents who age or pets or hopes or dreams. I warn you not to really fancy a proper McVitie's hobnob rather than whatever was scraped off the floor of a dog biscuit factory, smushed together and sold by someone pretending it was nearly a hobnob and which you bought because branded products are a luxury now and the hobnobs are only for those who hobnob with millionaires. 
I warn you not to not have enough money to cope with prices that will rise every month for the foreseeable future. I warn you not to buy, sell, own or inherit anything unless you have millions of it already. I warn you not to have dividends, own a small business or serve your local community or be self-employed. I warn you not to get cross when the council starts charging you £2,000 a year to empty the bins once a month because it needs to pay for social care that the government won't do and there's no other way it can raise the money. I warn you not to have accidents. I warn you not to go to hospital. I warn you not to get better because you'll still be in hospital and then this will be all your fault. Not those who've been punishing us with whack job ideology for 12 years. I warn you that it will be a long, hard road ahead. And if you're not up to a long march on a trail of tears, then frankly, that's tough because you're already on it. When Jeremy Hunt stood up yesterday to deliver his autumn statement, he tore down everything the rest of us rely on. The few upsides won't kick in until April, if you're spared, and the downsides start immediately with worse in the years to come. They say that this is necessary to balance the books and to repay borrowing. But Liz Truss wiped her arse on the books, and the borrowing is only theoretical. In reality, the government told the Bank of England to provide more money, so it did. If we were ever asked to repay it, which we aren't, we could just ask the Bank of England to print more money to pay the debt. There's no real need for your local library to become the only warm place in town, or the potholes to go unfilled, for nurses to have a real terms pay cut. Hunt has just decided those things should happen. And while he and Rishi Sunak can say they understand how hard this all is, and their own personal costs may also increase, both men have many millions of pounds sitting between them and the sort of hardship which has to notice that a bag of dried pasta and a tin of beans just soaked up the hobnob money. In good times, the fact that 1% of the British population is a millionaire doesn't matter to anyone but the poorest. In hard times, it is more widely noticeable that the 1% is in Parliament and 99% are in the shit. Out of every pandemic comes massive social change, and out of every recession comes collective action. This mini-budget appeased the city, but it will harden the bellies of everyone else. When winter bites, those who didn't have to do what they will not feel will suffer for it. A general strike is on its way. <laughs>